I don't know. I thought it kind of sounded like a uh, engine exhaust. Speaking of engine exhaust, welcome to <laughs> this, <laughs> this week's episode of uh, Midweek Matinee. Uh, with me in the passenger seat of this week's episode is Brett Beck. How you doing, Brett? I'm here. I'm good. Yeah. How are you, buddy? I'm good. I'm revving my engines and I'm ready to drag race into a conversation about the first Fast and the Furious movie. Um, well, I gotta tell you something, man, real quick. Yeah. I just want you to know something about me. Uh huh. I live my I live my life a quarter mile at a time. That is, in that ten seconds or less, I'm oh, free. That and grief is love, persevering, just top tier writing, perfect writing. <laughs> so, if you listened to last week's episode on heat, you know that Blake Popes is dead. Um, so <laughs> I got dark real quick. <laughs> well, listen, he tried to drift his Supra and flipped, and maybe eventually he'll come back as a villain. Spoilers. Uh, <laughs> I am in the driver's seat this week. My name is Chris the Drag Racer Figueroa. Um, I said we watched the Fast and the Furious 2001. Uh, me and Brett have decided to take on the lofty journey in our franchise and watch uh, all nine, ten Fast and the Furious movies up until the June 25th release of Fast 9. So I hope you guys join us for that race to the finish line. I don't know how many racing puns I can fit into this one, but I think my acknowledgement of that is a stop sign. Now I'm done. Bruh, Brett, how'd you like the movie? <laughs> all right. So first of all, I love this movie. I've seen it before, yeah. of course. I think a lot of people have at least watched the first one. It was a big phenomenon even when the first one came out and no one knew it was going to spawn <laughs> 10 more movies. Spawn a franchise of superhero movies. <laughs> Yeah, I think the weirdest thing about it is that like it, there was such a long wait between them, and then it took like a really weird turn with Tokyo Drift, and so nobody really knew it was going to happen. And then it came back as what I feel like is arguably a, a pretty different movie, whether it's for better or worse. At least uh, who knows? But my history with the series is one, two, th- Tokyo Drift, and then f- four, which stupid name of Fast and Furious. I, <laughs> I don't want to get into all that, but I love this movie. I loved it as a kid, and I was really trying my best when watching this movie to detach myself from nostalgia. Yeah. Which I found to be really hard. <laughs> it, it is incredibly hard to detach yourself from nostalgia in this movie. Yeah, I mean, like, there's <clears throat> something about this movie that's tied to so many different aspects of my life that it's not <laughs> like I can only cut out the nostalgia for the movie because... Yeah the movie's chock full of things that I think because I watched it in my formative years and so many things that I enjoy now 
have to do with the type of aesthetic that this movie goes for yeah uh and like boldly and um you can almost argue crassfully like i love it but it (laughs) it's a bit much depending on who you are so for me this movie feels like i'm watching like need for speed carbon (laughs) or most wanted play out you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah. and really what it is is like i remember this movie coming out and then also playing um the uh need for speed underground mm-hmm. and just being like man this is like this is the early 2000s <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just hip-hop music <clears throat> and the occasional weird metal when like metal was really big into movies for a while like yeah. there's I, i'm gonna go ahead and spoil it here because i think it's just one of the most interesting parts of this whole movie from a sheer like I, the fact that that exists kind of cracked me up there's a part in the movie where you get like the police sting where they're going after um, the what's his name Johnny Tri- yeah. <laughs> I want to call him Triad I don't even think that's correct Johnny Tran <laughs> Tran uh, in this one yeah there's whenever he's going after all those people the cops are and it's set to a montage of Marilyn Manson music <laughs> I'm just like what is this movie yeah we have Marilyn Manson being the backing of a montage of rounding up Asian criminals <laughs> <laughs> the thing that gets me about this movie is that fucking Ja Rule is in it and I like grew up listening to Ja Rule <laughs> so I was like oh, oh shit you mean you mean discount ludicrous? uh yes pretty much the guy who was murdered by 50 cent on records so that guy um and funny actually i'll leave this off with a funny story about jaro my dad used to work at this place called the hometown buffet i don't think they they're around anymore and ja rule came in there and the only thing my dad ever said about him was that he's super fucking short <laughs> which is clear in this movie oh yeah um but yeah he's actually not in this movie all that much so it was super weird and then hearing him at the ending as the uh the ending song and it's just it's murder i'm like god damn it i'm like 12 years old again listening to some really (laughs) shitty rap music this is awesome (laughs) yeah so that's the big thing like you know um it's for as much as i don't care about the franchise anymore and that's why when you going to kind of break behind the scenes of the show chris approached me was like i have an idea or a proposition and he's like well let's watch all the fast and furious movies and we'll get them out to where we have enough time to be able to put it out pretty much uh the episode for fast nine right around the time fast nine's dropping Mm -hmm. which is cool but of course i had to kind of stop and be like you know i've not watched this franchise past four whether it was where i was at in my life or my general interest changing who knows it just uh, it seemed to not interest me anymore so like this is my chance to change my opinion on this series that i own this awesome steelbook blu-ray and have for years because i absolutely adore this movie it's so good Uh every time i watch it i'm super into it my wife never seen the whole thing and she was super into it it's a i think arguably i've said for years of the ones i've seen the first movie is the best now how much of that is objective truth versus nostalgia at really strong play it'll be interesting to talk about but (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean i think the first one this is going to sound weird but i think the first one is the most innocent if that makes sense and from there on out they just keep making it into more and more an action movie and i say it as a joke but it becomes a superhero franchise where i think i said in the nartec discord which you can join if you sign up for patreon i think um well you can just join it but if you want to have a cool colored name yes 
my color is light blue uh but yeah, my I was saying in that in our in the Discord conversation when I solicited questions for the show this week, um, I was like, it's like the first four movies are how the superheroes got their powers, and then the last ones are them being superheroes. <laughs> you know? Sure. I, I could kind of see that. This might sound weird, but this is of course because gaming is such a big part of my life as well. And this is also weird because I don't really have a big love for this franchise. It's just a franchise that this kind of reminds me of in terms of ridiculousness, even though I think it's far more. This makes me think of how Saints Row became Saints Row 4. <laughs> and I yeah. know that you play those games and enjoy them, so I know that you'll get what I'm saying in the fact that like Saints <clears throat> Row 1 and 2 have a plenty of the elements that go on to be in saints row four yeah but one two and three feel like movies about a very different thing and then saints row or games about a different thing and then saints row four is like and now we're about being in a simulation because aliens invaded earth and <laughs> you're just are like how did we get here and i think to a degree when you think about fast and furious definitely now and i mean this 100 percent Mm-hmm. This is going to come off as this is pure ignorance in the real world, like the real meaning of the word. I did not watch the trailer for Fast 9. I've not watched the trailer for any Fast and Furious <laughs> besides 5 and 6. I don't know anything about where they're going, but from what I understand, the long-running joke forever has been that they're going to eventually go to space. Yes. I need you to tell me right now, are they legitimately going to space in this movie? Do you want me to actually tell you that? Yes, be, or in, in nine because I someone yes, shared it's the in the trailer. Going They're to going space. to space. <laughs> Woo! In a car, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's and now you see what I mean. And I am not to be the gatekeeper here and say that th- you cannot love this franchise. That is perfectly fine. It, it's all I'm saying here is I fell in love with this franchise for one reason. And this movie, this franchise went on to be a much bigger success for a completely different one. Yeah. I think, you know, to me, it's one of those things where these movies are fucking fun. It was kind of the same thing I said last week with Kong versus Motherfucker with Godzilla versus Kong. And the same thing I'll say about stuff like, uh, like Twilight. They're just fun. And that, the, you know, they're not necessarily good. But if you tell me you're you're not entertained by them, I don't believe you. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. Yeah. And I'll say that. I think it's 100% fair. Four was the, seri- the series uh, entry that I last watched that made me think. I feel like this is, like, I'm seeing evidence that this is getting a little ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Did I have a fun time the entire time, time, time I was watching the movie? Yes. But I made that conscious decision to be like, I had fun watching this movie, but I don't feel like it has anything to do with the Fast and the Furious one, like what I love about that. And I feel like that was the weird thing is Fast 1 came out, and I remember I love it. I loved it so much as a kid. And then Too Fast, Too Furious came out, and I felt like it was a somewhat weird shift, but I still felt like it was trying to be in the vein. To me, it felt like they never knew that there was going to be more than one of these. Yeah, that's definitely true. So this is the... this is oh we're gonna rush to make a second entry in a film series that we didn't realize was going to be as popular as it got and that's how you got that and then tokyo drift felt like somewhat of a return to like the simpler roots to a degree Mm -hmm. of one 
And then four was like, but now we're racing cars through the desert in big <laughs> tunnels. And I just remember thinking the whole time, like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. <laughs> from point A to point B, what at what point from Too Fast, Too Furious, since Tokyo Drift's technically way the fuck on away, it's in Japan and way down the timeline, apparently. At what point from Too Fast, Too Furious did we get to Fast and Furious being about basically being a Mission Impossible heist? I don't even know how to describe it. It, it just was weird. Fun. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I got to say, you know? The thing is, they couldn't make any more of these if they didn't go crazy. And I think they do enough to explain why these people are in these situations. I am fascinated to find out how the fuck they're going to explain Ludacris and Tyrese in what looks like, what looks to be a DeLorean going to space. I'm fascinated to find out. And if that rumored Fast and the Furious and Jurassic World crossover is true, absolutely fascinated to see what the fuck that is about. But none of them are going to be cinematic masterpieces, but they are going to be the most fun three hours you can have at a theater. <laughs> Man, what, you know, if, if there is a Fast and Furious and Jurassic World crossover, what humble roots, you know? <laughs> Dude, if, if that happens and this, there's not a scene of Dominic Toretto fighting a T-Rex in a T-Rex mech suit where the head is a Camaro, I will demand a refund. <laughs> I think you're setting some pretty high expectations here. Am I, also, though? Am I, though? That's contingent on the fact that someone would be bold enough to make this move to begin with. And they, if you're going to make this move, you got to come out strong. Dude, they, they've already come out and said that there is a possibility of a Fast and the Furious and Jurassic World movie. That was the director of Fast 9 who said that. And they, why do they why, share a director or something no but, but i know they're, they're both universal yeah they're universal and neither nobody knows where to take either of these franchises so you might as well put them together uh okay i see <laughs> i see what's going on here they saw the success of big monkey punch big lizard <laughs> so they, and they're like they're like baby let's do it with cars let's take transformers and jurassic park and just you know what actually a little bit of fast and furious (laughs) like i do want to see the camaro t-rex but it would also be funny if they went like resident evil 5 route and it was just dominic toretto and agent hobbs or whatever just punching a t-rex in the stomach until it dies (laughs) (laughs) i'm here for that movie too i don't really care which one happens who puts out the transformers movies Oh my god, is it also Universal? That would... Okay. That's what I'm saying. I think it's Paramount. (laughs) Paramount and DreamWorks. Ah, see that? That sucks, because if I could get the Fast crew sitting inside of Transformers... (laughs) (laughs) Like, Megatron comes down, lands on Dominic's house, and he's like, my family's been killed. Or Metatron. Uh, yeah, the Metatron. Who's the good Megatron? one? Optimus Prime. The, Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime. Are you telling me that you do not know your Transformers uh, lore? Because we're about to... No, I do not know my Transformers We're going to throw lore. hands by way of me making you watch all the way through the original Transformers series, Transformers Prime, Transformers Beast Wars. We're going to have a blast. Well, I will... <laughs> I'll send you my cash app. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I mean, listen, we can watch all the Shia LaBeouf movies if you want. 
I'm more than happy to do that. So yeah, let's just let's actually talk about the movie. Uh, did you notice the god awful ADR in this movie? Uh, yeah, dude. Uh, it's there terrible. Was, there was like four or five super obvious scenes. Yeah, where I was like, they didn't even bother to like. They didn't even try. Hey, can we replace this line with something that at least kind of looks like it might be what he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand it. And I know. See, the thing that's uh, that's weird, and this is technically not about the movie, but it's it's pertinent to the fact. How did you watch this movie? Uh, HBO Max on my TV. Okay, so one of the reasons I asked that is because HBO Max, I've noticed, are really really bad about censoring. And I mean to the degree where there's complete episodes of South Park that they just don't air. Uh, they have censored uh, certain words, like where uh, <laughs> I remember watching the episode live. There's an episode where Randy says "fuck China," <laughs> and on the HBO Max version, the whole episode is about Chinese overreaching, uh, overreaching, and affecting Western media by needing to be censored. And, then they and censor HBO it. Max are so fucking tone deaf they censor that they fuck censor. China. They censor the joke about that. Uh, so, I, but I noticed it too because then I started, when I noticed as I'm watching Impractical Jokers the first few seasons again, which I originally watched on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, and now they're all on there. There are lines and episodes where the people are clearly talking and the audio is cut. Really? And I'm like, oh. So, my uh, at first, my, because I've been watching so much HBO Max, I thought, oh, did HBO Max like, a, a, did they ADR this and make them go in and like redub or use like a, a edited version of the movie because of something that was considered insensitive? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, wait, no, I'm watching a Blu-ray from like 2010 before we got into that. So I found that weird, which makes me wonder why the choice. Like I get ADR sometimes, but you normally kind of do it in a scene where you're not going to be noticeable, but you want to use it to kind of switch the story. What did you have to ADR that jaw rule? What did John Rule say? <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it was just 2001, man. That's the thing, because I noticed that a lot of this movie seems really cheap and shoddily done, but it came out really well. Like, there's the whole scene at the end where um, Brian is trying to save Vince on the truck, mm-hmm. and there are multiple shots where you can clearly tell it's a stunt guy. And the reason you can clearly tell is because the stunt guy has a beard and Brian does not have a beard in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I was watching this and I'm like, how do you not shave first? (laughs) Right? Like the simplest of things. It is very clearly another dude. The facial shape is different. The hair is different. But it was the beard that I caught, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's the same. That's really funny well it's the, th- it's the same thing as like people are like well you know the the glasses actually work for superman because people just see the the regular stuff and that's that exact scene is like proof of it because if he hadn't had the beard i would never have noticed and we wouldn't be talking about it but he has the beard and i'm like oh that's not paul walker that's the other guy you know and you could tell i'm gonna take some umbrage about the superman thing because if you see this man all the time and you can see a picture which again superman was created when like camera phones were not a thing so we have to modernize it where it's like dude anybody could just take a picture of superman and zoom in and then look at clark kent and like who works with him and look at him for like 10 minutes and be like that motherfucker's superman dude the only i i buy the glasses thing what i don't buy is that 
Clark Kent and Superman both are built like Greek gods, and nobody's like, huh, this reporter seems like he's very strong. But this reporter's jacked, bro. What's he doing? Yeah, I guess Clark Kent lifts a lot. You know, that's my biggest thing. I'm like, it's not like, like if Superman had a pot belly, I'd buy it, but he doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, he so, looks like your everyday normal citizen. Exactly. Then but, I can see it. Yeah, stunt, the stunt double thing <clears throat> is really interesting because you see that across a number of movies. And typically it's done well enough that like, they pay a little bit of attention. They try and get someone who's like relatively same height, relatively close hair color to where it's not like you suddenly have Brian or, you know, um, uh, Paul Walker here like with blondish hair being like stunt doubled by a dude with black hair. You, you know, you would notice that too quickly. It's mm-hmm. like it's all about trying to make it happen as quick. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. I was watching that scene, and I was actually I did not notice that what you're talking about. Really? I believe it, but I was too caught up in that same scene about the fact that the shotgun shots out of the side were like clearly not the way that metal would react to a shotgun no. shell. No. Nope. So I'm looking at it and like that's clearly like even if it really did explode, that was like a little explosive that they did to just create a hole before they set the actors up in there. Yeah. Or it was just a completely pre-cut hole and like, what's a hole look like from a shotgun blast? Ah, fuck it. <laughs> Probably like this. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I, yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that in the sense of taking me out of the movie. I've seen the movie so many times that I was just kind of watching it and I'm okay with cracking up and making jokes. Now, my actual thoughts, I think the movie, I agree to what you say, what you're saying in the sense of it does feel a little cheaply shot. And that's also kind of what I mean by the sense of I don't quite think that they understood how successful this movie was going to be. Like, I, th- I knew that they at least thought it was going to be do well enough to like make back a return. Yeah, of course. But I don't think that anybody at Fast and Furious 1 stages was thinking that in 20 years they were going to be making the ninth installment where they go to the moon or no, space, whatever you want to call it. In a car. Jesus yeah, and Christ. so what I mean by that is that clearly that foresight wasn't baked in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that something about the way it's shot, for the most part, really does a lot to sell it as one as sounds weird i feel like the movie's a little more filmic than any of the other ones because of the fact that it wears its budget on its sleeve so it's got some of the kind of more auteur not completely it's still clearly a, a high dollar movie from the time but some of the more like less professional looking scenes almost give it like a charm that you'd expect from a more filmic movie mm-hmm. um or even something like a like a, a um, ambitious TV show at the time. Yeah, I mean it was a thirty eight million dollar movie in two thousand one. So yeah, not which crazy. is not crazy really. I mean, if I wonder what was the return of investment? Like what was the uh, box uh, office on? opening week was forty million and the gross USA was one forty four two oh seven worldwide. Yeah, so that's pretty good numbers. No, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's the thing, man. Like, I guess Blake, rest in peace, has said multiple times that this was supposed to be a point break ripoff that became this. Uh, So I guess I see it, which I've never actually seen point break. So I guess technically I don't see it. But but I understand what you mean, where this movie is clearly like you know trying to capture something and then they capture something completely different (laughs) 
I, I mean, I think. I mean, like I talked about, one of the things that I think really works well for this movie is how much it leans into the the car culture that they chose to embrace, and that's why I I, I don't I'm not going to say it's like a huge thing, but I do argue to some degree. Blaze has the a uh, blaze. Blake has the absur- assertion that. Mm this series has never really been about cars and racing. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree, personally. And I disagree strongly in one. I think that even... I mean, I think across the board, cars are <clears throat> synonymous. And I don't necessarily... I could be slightly misquoting him, but I know for a fact he says it's never been about racing. And again, I think that that's somewhat... I don't agree with it. I'm not going to say it's completely wrong as much as I just don't personally agree with it. I think there's a strong thing that this movie works because it's so tied up in underground illicit street racing and all the illegal activities that come from people who would already do the illegal act of street racing and how it's a high thrill, high risk, high reward thing that would clearly lead someone like Dom and those group to be like, could we take this a step further and get something out of it? Um, but I think the movie's so tied up in car culture and specifically underground street racing culture, definitely of that 2000s era that kind of spawned everything out where it's very uh, Japanese-influenced and it has a bunch of you know hip-hop coming in. I think it's really cool. I love that aesthetic. And even though I know that now that aesthetic is dated, it's still like my favorite car aesthetic. Oh, so yeah. When a game comes out with that, like Need for Speed's 2015 reboot, I was all over. Mm-hmm. I love that game Yeah, so much. The most nothing nostalgic thing about this movie was the uh, lights under the cars that's oh, me yeah, dude that is so 2000s and it was the only thing i ever wanted for my own car i wanted a honda civic that i could soup up and i wanted the neon lights under my car that's all i wanted <laughs> now i have a 2014 jetta with a bad engine so <laughs> i am not racing and like See, but i get you i remember when i was young and i i didn't realize how tall i was going to be i always <laughs> yeah. wanted um i always wanted a miata so an mx5 oh. i always wanted a miata with you know like red or blue uh underlights uh neons and as I got older and then could start driving and was already as tall as I am now and realized I can't fit in a Miata, <laughs> yeah. um, I had to give that dream up. But yeah. I remember thinking, like, every time I'd play a new Need for Speed game, it was like, starting with that Miata, going to slap these on here. If you uh-huh. want to let me start with the Miata, I'm going to buy one real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was always the Toyota Supra. I thought was the coolest car oh, of dude, all this, time. Yeah. The Supra in this movie, oh, it's so nice, dude. That car is so sick. I remember I, I tried my hardest to recreate it in like every game. Yeah. I was like, "Do you have a Supra? Let me recreate." It. I think the closest I ever got was Midnight Club Los Angeles because it had just a ridiculous customization engine. Like you could customize like the carpet and steering wheel inside your car. Mm-hmm. You could put neons inside your car. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. That was all I ever wanted was neon lights. And now it's See, like, but that's what I'm getting into, and I think that's why I think the first movie actually has, to me, the strongest identity of them all. Definitely, well, okay, uh, of the ones I've watched, um, because I think arguably four sets the identity Excuse for me. what the series goes on to be. Yeah, I, I um, think that's true. And arguably, from what I understand, very lightly about where the series has gone, I think it's still to Bla- uh, Blake's point it's still somewhat connected to the fact that the first movie is about, you know, these, what would you say? Like a a team of people just doing illegal Mm -hmm. actions. But I think it just goes so much further in the way that things go. And it gets a level of where not in a bad way necessarily, 
but you know the old Happy Days Jump the Shark thing. Yeah, I think that it's safe to say this series has jumped the shark. Now it's having a blast doing it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I think arguably one is one doesn't have that. One feels. What I think one of the things that's cool about one is it feels like a when the movie ends, it feels over. Right. Absolutely. It's like oh, it feels like a standalone product. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of cool because one of the downsides to today is that even when things are don't ever get a sequel, everything's made with the anticipation of a sequel because of how media is these days. Yeah, you want to be able to make it into a series because series are what makes you crazy money if you mm-hmm. keep on getting people to bite on the same thing. Yeah, well, but there's something that's nice about the finality of something where it doesn't try to set up anything else. Right. Um, I think this is going to be a hot take and you're free to argue with me but this movie and the last of us both end the exact same way yeah you know no i I, and neither movie needed a sequel and still got one (laughs) yeah like which is interesting you know they end in a but i think the interesting thing about that is they they both they both set themselves up for a sequel but you leave both these movies not needing one. Like you leave this movie with, okay, well, Brian and Dom, Dom is forgiven Brian because Brian saves his life. And there's, if there, there's a scenario where this movie is just nothing else because they left, they went their separate ways, but the movie also makes it clear that they're not at each other's throats anymore. So it makes sense that, okay, they got back, they went back to each other and whatever they, they hash it out. And I haven't seen fast, too fast too furious in a long time so i don't remember how they solve it in universe but i think the movie does a good enough job to be like hey this is there's no reason that they couldn't come back together yeah i agree with that like in terms Mm -hmm. of how they eventually got back together because as we all know i mean too fast too furious specifically did not have vin diesel (laughs) i did not realize that okay yeah. Did they get John uh, Rule back was... and think he was going to be the star? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think two is where they introduced Ludacris. They were like, we're yes. going to upgrade Ja Rule to Ludacris. <laughs> and Vin Diesel to Tyrese. Yeah, and I, I really think it's what happened. And there's a big story for anyone who's interested in about the way that this movie happened, what Vin Diesel was expecting to continue. Vin Diesel was wanting really strongly to get to continue the Chronicles of Riddick storyline in Pitch Mm -hmm. Black. And then Chronicles of Riddick was really expensive and did really poorly. And part of his agreeing to come back from what I understand, and I could be wrong, it's been so long, part of him agreeing to come back into the series with the cameo in Tokyo Drift was that he was going to get the rights to the Chronicles of Riddick film so that he could find someone else to fund a movie um since universal didn't want to do it that's awesome and then the way that 2013's riddick ended up happening uh, is that he basically funded the movie himself so <laughs> so making that fast and furious money got him his riddick movie <laughs> yeah weirdly enough it's like him it seemed and i could be overstating it to a degree but it seemed like him coming back to the fast and furious was conden- contingent on him getting to actually do what he personally wanted, wanted. to do he may yeah. feel very different about that now <clears throat> mm-hmm. you know um but i could see it you know i think if you looked at one as what clearly seems like a one-off like we talked about with the with a game like the last of us i never anticipated a sequel that had the same characters 
Mm-hmm. And so most I, I anticipated a sequel that was different characters. So I looked it up, and this is what Vin Diesel said. He said, Vin Diesel revealed that he turned down a $25 million offer from Universal Studios to return to this film. Uh, he said that the premise of the film did not work, stating Universal Studios didn't take a Francis Ford Coppola approach to it, which that just sounds pretentious. Um, they approached it like they did the sequels in the 80s and 90s where they would drum up a new story unrelated for the most part and slap the same name on it, which mm-hmm. probably not untrue, but fuck you with your Francis Ford Coppola shit. That's, I, uh, well, that. <laughs> I think, and I know that I agree it sounds, I think it's because of the fact that he brought up Francis Ford Coppola, yeah. but I think his He's actual right. point there is completely correct, and I think it's what kind of dropped me from the series, yeah. is it was completely disconnected things, but with the same people, and not in the sense of Tokyo Drift. I thought what made Tokyo Drift work so well was the fact that it felt like, oh, we're just taking the idea of Fast and Furious, and we're giving you all new characters, and we're just going to make a new new story doesn't it doesn't connect anywhere else and then they screwed that up by <laughs> connecting so, it <laughs> we've made a joke about ludicrous this is the next thing on the imdb thing john singleton originally wanted rapper ja rule to reprise his edwin character from the original fast and the furious ja turned it down feeling as singleton put it he was too big for the role uh, which <laughs> which i find hilarious because 50 cent would disagree with ja rule <laughs> and you know the fire festival customers would also disagree with ja rule but Boy. just quickly i pulled out my ouija board and i got some comments from blake's ghost and blake said that you know he he thinks that fast and the furious is more about crime where it's about an undercover cop trying to solve the stolen dvd player shit which all happens to take place in the underground illegal street racing world. The first movie is about racing, but I think it would work in any illegal undertype world shit. It came out at the perfect time for those types of cars and racing, though, which is why it took off like it did. I don't know if it would be nearly as popular if it didn't involve racing as heavily in the first film. He just thinks that when people say it's quote-unquote no longer about racing, they're missing the point. The story wasn't about racing. It was about stolen DVD players and undercover cops. Man, the uh, the, the <clears throat> ghost of or the spirit of Blake is very verbose. I was gonna say, yeah, he really managed to manifest a lot yeah. in the Ouija board. My arms are tired from moving. I was like, are your arms just on fire just over here? Like, did you look like a Naruto character I doing did. a little? <laughs> You went into something really fucked up. We're talking about ghosts and my fucking cat. I didn't know he was under my desk and he started, he just jumped out and ran away and scared the shit out of me because I'm sitting here. I'm like, yeah, the ghost of Blake. And then a fucking ghost comes out from underneath me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. So I guess his comments, I agree with them, but it does kind of transition me to the thing I was going to ask is how do you feel about the setup for the story? You know, Brian being an undercover cop and looking for Toretto that kind of stuff. I liked it. And I think one of the big things I think this movie does really well yeah. is the setup specifically and how they key us, the audience, in on what things. They let us live for a good bit in this <clears throat> world where Brian is just a normal guy starting at a parts store mm. with bigger ambitions to be a racer and then has his eye on this girl and is just kind of going on like yeah there's little things that i think are the typical thing where if this is your first time watching the movie Mm -hmm. you might be like why is he looking at dom that way at the very beginning of the movie while he's eating his tuna like does my man get off on watching big dudes you know grab drinks while he eats tuna or is he he an undercover cop and 
uh, or or what's going on? Like you know, there's it's it's just vague enough that you're like, why is he giving him such a stink eye? But you can almost write it off like he's probably realizing that this girl is his sister, and mm-hmm. he's like sizing the guy up in case something happens. So the movie lets you live in that. Yeah, it's <clears throat> it's interesting because I don't think it's intentional, but it's one of those where like you pick up a lot more on a second watch. Where like exactly what you mentioned, where he's at Harry's, I believe it was. And he's yep. like, I need these two Nazis and I need them tonight. And you could take it as, oh man, he's just really aggressive about his street racing. But then you realize that Harry has to do whatever the fuck he says because he's a cop and Harry's in trouble if he doesn't listen, you know? Yeah, and I love that the movie, like, I think it's I think it is purposeful on the director's part because there's a lot of little seeds that come back to where it's like oh those scenes make more sense in hindsight yeah uh, the Harry scene in particular because there's a scene with the cops where it's like oh well he realizes that he gets you know he gets put away for accepting stolen goods right and I love that because it's like okay now everything's kind of coming together because apparently Harry's in on it and you're aware of that because it's mm-hmm. like so why was Harry bending over at the back because um, you know there's that scene where when when <laughs> He comes in, Brian comes in and says, uh, what did Dom say? And he's like, you don't want to know what he says. And then he says, well, he said that you're done. And he's like, well, what'd you tell him? And the response was, oh, I told him that good it's help. hard to find good help these days. Yeah. That makes way more sense when you understand that as far as we're concerned, Harry's head is under a boot. Right. Like Harry, <laughs> I, he doesn't have a choice, which I like. So to that degree, though, I think as the movie keeps going on, I like that you're not made aware of the fact he's a cop until afterwards. Like you get this weird uh, tension between Vince and Brian, and mm-hmm. you're not exactly sure what it is. Is it because of Mia and the fact that Vince clearly has the hots for Mia, but Mia doesn't necessarily share the, uh Is it that? Is it the fact that he is aware that there's something not quite right about Brian? It, it kind of gets to play really well. And I think that that serves really well because you get to live in that for a while. The movie finally tells you it. And then at the end of the movie, when we see the phone call where Brian picks up the phone and then says, you know, this is Officer Brian O'Connell. And he's and you kind of just see Dom look up and be like, you motherfucker. Right. You were a fucking cop. <laughs> yeah. I just feel like the, the build up to the setup pays off so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think that there's so much, like I said, there's so much about the movie that Blake is correct. I mean, it is about crime. Yeah. But I think it's about crime through the lens of, you know, el- like the underground illicit street racing. And again, I mean this movie. Cause it's all stuff around that. And it's all about how how far that'll go. Like, you know, Johnny Tran going and, and killing people because they ran off with a car. It's just, it's, of course, it's overdoing it like i don't think it's fair to say this movie's 100 realistic but it feels more grounded than any movie past series no i mean i absolutely agree with that like there there's nothing unbelievable except maybe letty surviving that crash um <laughs> and the other a- asian guy i don't think he was named the very aggressive um he did have a enforcer. name but i don't remember it at all I, I, look, I'm going to be honest, I couldn't take him seriously because the look on his face was fucking ridiculous every time he had a gun. <laughs> yeah, I was like, bro, you, you're not looking intimidating. You look like you have to fart. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it. But, um, yeah, th- those may be the t- only two situations that were entirely unrealistic. You know, Obviously, some of the truck heists, I was like, I don't know about that. But So I think the other guy's name was what, Danny Yamato, right? Yeah, you definitely could be right about that. 
no 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 danny was the dude playing the ps <laughs> i love that scene yeah i was gonna bring that up for the race and he's playing gran turismo yeah I was like, that's awesome. The, so many small things in that movie, this movie, where I'm like, this is sick. <laughs> like, they did good. What I this. loved about that is that he's doing absolutely terrible in Gran Turismo, yeah, which is a crashes. racing simulator. And in this real world that we're supposed to believe we're watching, which, don't get me wrong, those kind of funny things exist. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who are excellent drivers who just suck at video games. And even a car based video game, it's just like it doesn't click for them. Uh, so I thought it was just a, it was a kind of cheeky little thing to pull off. Um, yeah. I, I liked the detail. So I'm going to bounce a question over to you because I, I found it, I don't think it ruins the movie at all. Sure. But I feel like there is a number of, in trying to play to this movie's arguably strength of being kind of just a fun like there's a serious back into it but there are the movies constantly trying to keep you having fun alongside all the drama and um the there's a number of scenes that i feel like are just completely unnecessary for nothing more than just kind of being like ha 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 we're fun people with racing mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like a couple of them that kind of come to mind is like whenever letty pulls up at the desert event and uh races against a guy who's like you know uh you want to race uh, for, for me to get a piece of that ass or whatever <laughs> like that does nothing more than just like try and i and i get it i think it, it at least does this so arguably it's the, the need i guess it kind of gives you a little bit more time with letty and it does. seeing letty without the rest of the group so that you understand how she acts even in an isolated exper- experience yeah um, um she acts like vin diesel <laughs> or dominic so <laughs> yeah yeah and i think that works because like a lot of characters get that right either they get a complete moment to themselves or you get to see how they act a little different when it's specifically brian and them so you get that moment with Jesse <clears throat> where um, he kind of has that back and forth he's doing where it's like, hey, man, you should you should have gone to MIT. And you get like it's just trying to emotionally connect you with these characters as much as they can in a less than two hour runtime. Yeah. You know, I think that there's plenty to be said about the fact that Jesse ends up dying <laughs> and i think that yeah. that's obvious i don't even mean that from a cliche, like a cliche standpoint it's just that's the kind of role that that character plays in these types of movies yeah he's um, um you know spider-man makes that joke where he's the man in the chair you know that's what he is yeah sure yeah uh and he is and the man in the chair is often normally the one who ends up kind of getting the the background thing where something happens they don't know how to face it and then they end up hurt or killed uh mm-hmm. and we see that often like you know sly cooper 2 uh we see at the end of that um that uh, bentley the man in the chair for that series literally is paralyzed <laughs> <laughs> yeah he becomes the literal man in the chair um turtle so it, it, it's common <laughs> turtle in the chair <laughs> sorry let me not offend turtle get it right kind. pete is gonna um, be mad yeah right uh so I, I like that setup but at the same time it's like yeah you know it's coming but it does help for you to try and get some time with Jesse with more than just, oh, he's good with engines. You know, it's like you have to build that up. Otherwise, that scene doesn't work to the fullest extent. Like, yeah, you understand where Dom's coming from and his reaction to it because they've set up that Dom is like that big brother to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's weird. I mean, I like the way this movie plays out, but it's also follow some tropes to a good degree i think it makes the movie work but yeah i agree um i guess we could kind of talk about the race 
I thought it was really unfortunate that they called that part the race war. Uh, <laughs> considering the current political climate, I was like, oof. Well, you know, you can't account for the 2021 political climate in 2001. <laughs> no, I guess you can't. Um, but in talking about the race war, what did you think about that? Like Jesse trying to race thing and Brian being like, no, don't race. You can't race. I thought it was another setup of the movie kind of pulling itself together in a way that I felt like made sense and kind mm. of him giving hints to the fact that he knows more than he's leading on. And uh, part of what I like about all of that setup, right, is before that, we have the night where he goes out with <clears throat> Mia, Brian does. You hear you get the call where he's like, you know, we're going to move forward on Tran. If you agree, just say yes. And after all that happens, and it doesn't end up being that the Tran had anything to do with the stolen stuff, then you get into this situation of like, okay, the cop comes to him. He's like, I don't care if you have to blow your cover or anything. You have 36 hours to get this done. And you kind of see that kick everything into motion. Like, I've got to go. I've got to start questioning these people that I've kind of grown attached to. I've got to push myself into an uncomfortable zone even further than I have. And so... Every bit of that's kind of happening there. Uh, it's it's almost like his cover is unraveling, so he doesn't have much of a choice anyway because he's connected to these people because he spent time around them and he is invested in their safety even though he has his job. So it's that struggle, and uh, that that's, struggle is what you need in that kind of uh, protagonist. You need someone who has a goal, but there's something that kind of doesn't make the goal impossible but it changes the way in which the goal should happen. So he's like, well, I want to make sure all you guys are at least safe uh, and accounted for. So I love that you have that franticness about him where he looks over and he sees Tran. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And even before that, you see the more like, oh, I'm invested in you, Jesse. Like, hey, it's not a smart idea for you to go race your father's car off. Right. And then we get to see that go further once he realizes Tran's involved and he knows the implications of why Tran's involved. And it's like, no, 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 really, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. And then you kind of see it when he's following Mia as afterwards when he's like, your brother drove off. Where's he going? And she's like, what is, what's going on? What are you worried about? I like to see that kind of uh, the, the tone of the movie shift in relation to seeing everyone together. You see that family element that while it wasn't actually the focus of this movie, you know, the family element came in later. Mm-hmm. It's still clearly in this movie. Like that early seedling of DNA is there. And seeing Brian kind of have to change up the way he's interacting with his family and the tension that it creates within these people who have put a lot of trust in him is cool. I like that. And I think it really makes the ending of the movie work. Yeah. And it makes the actual penultimate scene of Brian handing Dom the keys and saying, like, I owed you a 10 second car. I think it makes all of that work. Without any of that extra setup, the tension has to be there for that release to work. Mm-hmm. And I think it also helps because it, it makes you believe that he would basically save him from Dominic from the cops, you know, mm-hmm. and kind of potentially sink his own career. Yeah. 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 Which, well, so I want to ask you about a scene and it, yeah. it's directly leading up to that. So, of course, the chasing of Tran happens, and arguably it seems like Dom was worried about that, but it's like Dom sees that Tran's dealt with, and he's like, I'm going to get away. <laughs> How yeah, do you that feel was about that, that side-by-side scene of Brian catching up Dom in that kind of last race of the movie, as it were? I liked it because I think it was 
a little bit circular like you always point out how you like when movies circle back right and i think it goes right back to the beginning of the movie where he's like i want your respect and he earns it in that last fight going through the train like to me it was one of those things where i don't know if vin diesel or jesus i don't know if dominic would have cared if the train hit him or not but i think that he they were racing and both of them were like okay we're not giving up was kind of that last push to get over the the line and then it helped where he didn't, you know, kill Brian at the end of the movie because he respected him at that point for beating him in a race. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, and there's that scene, too. And I know this they end up kind of paying this off later. But you know when they both clear and you see them kind of take that moment to just look at each other and be like, with all, with all this shit going on and us knowing what we're really doing here, this has become less about me trading chasing you down and this is like you said it's circular it's about getting back to where it's like now this is about me earning that respect i've wanted from you this entire time this is going back to that initial race and letting the initial race have the payoff here where we see that character arc of arc of brian grow not only within the family but also ostensibly as a driver mm-hmm. uh, to be able to pull this off it's so great and i feel like there's so many ties that come back to it you know we hear that line from dom of I'd, I'd die before I go back to jail. And like you mentioned, it there's clearly that look in his eyes whenever the engine has that little problem. And he clearly knows the train's coming, but he decides to go ahead and punch the engine anyway. Mm. It's like that. It, it's, it's him taking that line of I'd rather die than go back to prison to heart. It's like, no, this is what I mean. This is where we are. You know, if this is what I have to do and it kills me along the way then at least I'm not going back to prison. Yeah, it's, it's like, a very ready. circular movie, and that's kind of why I mean like it's it's so great as a one-off because everything that it brings up, it resolves. It doesn't right. do that. Like The only arguably thing that you could say sets up a sequel is the fact that just Dom gets away. Right, exactly. You know, I, I don't know. I think it's very good. I like that it's circular. I like that there's a left turn, and then there's a left turn, and then there's a left turn, and then there's a left turn. <laughs> Wait, are we watching NASCAR? I couldn't even get through the joke. But yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah it's, it's very circular. I like that it's a... Uh, I guess it sounds weird, but it's like a, it's a whole movie, right? If that makes sense? No, for sure. Um, I so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a ton more to say about the first Fast and the Furious. Um, how about you, Brett? What else, what else are you thinking here? One thing we didn't really talk about, sure, because we do have to think about the fact that this movie's two thousand one. It's very oh, old. Yeah. It's um, murder. I'm curious. How did you feel about the aging of the effects? I didn't think they were too. There were enough for it to be bad. That was my exact note. Is that the effects choices are really dated, but they're used so infrequently that it never completely takes you out of the fun or takes you out of the movie. Like, you mm. notice it, but you're kind of like, oh, that was kind of weird, but it's gone already, and now we're back to just having a good time. Yeah. Um, I I, did, I actually kind of liked it. felt very um, nostalgic. The uh, We're going into the engine, and we're watching all the pistons fire. I liked that. Uh, I like that, too. Yeah, the one I'm actually thinking about in particular is like the warping of the lens to simulate speed whenever he does that first NOS hit. And it's, yeah. it really just looks like the camera's in- image is being distorted. It doesn't look like something's suddenly moving quicker. No, it doesn't look... 
It doesn't look good, but I think it gives what it needs, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, there's other things too, right? I do like the engine thing, and I actually felt like most of those effects held up. They looked pretty solid, uh, and they chose to use them in smart ways where it's like, oh, we're just going to tunnel through something that you're vaguely going to understand as an engine, but it's not hyper-detailed, so it, it doesn't. It can't date because we're moving so fast that it's just like, oh, this is inside the engine. Then you see a combustion, and bam, we're back out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um but one of the ones that got me is, did you, I, I do this all the time in old movies. Did you pay attention to the way that computers were used in this movie? Yes. <laughs> one of the things that made me laugh the most in retrospect, and it has been years since I've seen this, uh, was Jesse putting the floppy disk that said Supra into the computer and then it being like a full 3D rendering and like tearing down of it. I was like, this yeah. is all super fake composited footage they cgi'd what they thought people would be able to and that's the thing about computers and movies right you have to actually cgi computers in a way where it's something that someone understands what you're getting out of it because definitely in 2001 most people didn't know what to expect from a computer when it comes to cars so you got to be like how do i give the information to the viewer while still making it look like it's probably something that the characters would be looking at in this world. And it's like, well, we got to show a 3d frame, uh, model of a Supra. And then we got to tear the suspension out underneath it and show it separately. And it, it was just really weird. And I noticed it even whenever he was like on the computer inside Harry's store, there was this stuff popping up. I'm like, he's, no one's doing this. And this should have just been practical. Yeah. Exactly. To a degree. But, to a degree. <clears throat> I did like the scene of uh, speaking of the computers, where Brian is nosing at the beginning, and then the computer goes, "Don't do it again." He goes, "Shut up!" And he slams the computer down. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing? You have that for a reason." <laughs> well, and that see that goes into his his arc, right? He goes from being like too gung ho to try and get his thing to you see him at that last race kind of be a, a, a way more confident driver. And it's to me, the fact that the movie literally starts with the, uh, well, you know, realistically starts with, uh, him going out in the car and just hitting the, the track and then kind of burning out and clearly messing up and being like, shit, whenever he comes to a stop, <laughs> it almost looks mm. like he's going to wreck. Uh, and then you hear things from Harry where Harry's like, you're, you're 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 uh, yeah you have a heavy foot you push too hard as a driver you know nos will kill you you kind of get to see these stories kind of keep going and keep going and then you see him actually be like a competent racer by the end of the movie yeah and i thought that was cool <clears throat> well i think it's funny because the movie kind of harry kind of sets that whole thing up where he goes you have a heavy foot right and that it's kind of he learns to not have a heavy foot throughout the movie which is so what an arc yeah exactly <laughs> Congratulations on your now light feet. There, there's an emotional arc, but that's his racing arc. Exactly. <laughs> the emotional arc is separate. Right. Absolutely. For sure. I, I don't know. I just think that was very funny. <clears throat> so this movie is also 2001. So I don't know about the implication of the soundstage for it, but I feel like the movie's like sound floor, like how loud it gets versus how quiet it gets. Like it's. I argue it's overly dynamic. I feel like it's super loud at certain points, and then it was arguably too quiet at others, to where I couldn't do the comfortable middle ground because where the loudest parts felt comfortable, I couldn't hear them talk in certain points. Yeah, no, I'm. But where I could hear them talk, sometimes the loud felt like obnoxiously loud. 
No, you're right. There were definitely certain parts where the mixing was weird. Like I said, the ADR in this movie is weird, and I think that goes back to just that, too. <laughs> Whoever was mixing was just like, ah, fuck it, it works. Yeah, it sounds like a movie, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, no, I think that's just about it. I am really curious to see how this movie holds in my mind when I immediately follow it up with a watch-through of Too Fast, Too Furious, and then Tokyo Drift, and then 4. And just the 4 that I've seen, I'm curious as to how it holds up. Because after watching this, I still feel like and I'm going to try not to do this. I want to go in with an open mind. I still feel like this one's going to end up being my favorite. It just feels, it, it, it feels the most complete and tonally <coughs> accurate to me, which also that's set from the fact that it was the first one I saw. Maybe I'd feel different if I came in mm-hmm. at four and then went back and watched this and be like, oh, this is weird. Yeah. There's a lot of, it just depends on how you go into it. If you go into it looking for a grounded movie, this is going to be your favorite one. If you're excited for some crazy shit to happen, you might enjoy something later. We'll see. There's so, a there's a scene, and I think it's Fast Five that is one of my favorite movie scenes of all time because it's so ridiculous and so fun. <laughs> so, did you've watched all of them up to date besides Hobbs and Shaw, or uh, what's, the la- what's the last one you've watched? Fast Five, I think. I don't think I've seen four. I've seen the one where after Paul Walker dies, and that's it. And I've seen one seven? too. I think it's seven, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of this. I was just like, yeah, we should probably do this. This will be fun. But you'd watched this one before, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. this is a classic. It is a classic. I agree with that. All right, well, it'll be interesting to see how we continue to go on. But I guess now, uh, do you want to add an element into this long-running series of not only what do we rate the movie, but where do we rate it in the timeline? Like, what movie like basically an ordering of the movies from best to worst do yeah you want to do that to yeah, you as, I, like i think we should as we go That'd through cool. so right now one one takes the number one spot <laughs> yeah currently the best fast and the furious movie that we've watched on midweek matinee is the fast and the furious <laughs> <laughs> tune in next week <laughs> to find out where too fast too furious ranks as the second movie in the uh, set here Uh, So, if you had to rate this movie, and this is going to be interesting, because I feel like this is the only one that doesn't carry the baggage of all the other ones that come before or after it. Yeah. I feel like this one's going to be the most interesting to actually rate. Like, if as a film, independent of all the rest of the series, how do you rate this? Like, if you had to give this a star rating, what would you call it? Um, My rating is a four and a half. I think that's really strong, and that's I've been debating in my head between a four and a half and a, and a four. But honestly, I love the movie so much. Uh, like I said, trying to dislike disconnect myself from the nostalgia, I don't think actually worked. But no. I'm still going to give it a four and a half because I still think it's the one that lends itself to actually coming in. I, I mean, I would argue that the only one that you need to have actually seen to start watching this is four onward. Mm-hmm. But all these other ones help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I almost gave it a five, honestly. Uh, so we did it last week, and you wanted to make a segment. So I'll read my letterbox review. And it was, I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Fuck yeah, you do, Dom. The ADR sucks, but the movie is great. That was my review. <laughs> Movie's awesome. So next week, if it hasn't been clear, we are watching Too Fast, Too Furious. The week after that, we will be watching Tokyo Drift, and so on and so forth. 
But if you like our show, you can follow Brett at Triangle SQRD on Twitter, where he tweets about PlayStation and all of that stuff. You can follow me at Figs21K, F-I-G-Z-2-1-K on the Twitter machine. Um, if you like our content and you would like to support our content, Nartech has a Patreon at patreon.com slash Nartech, where you get our show early when i edited it properly uh you get triangle squared you also get access to our discord and i believe if you are a patron for three months at the five dollar tier correct brett that's correct nailed it you get a specialized playstation ps1 case which are very good i am still waiting for my persona 5 case that is a conversation for off the podcast but multiple things you can find there at triangle squared talk to us or not triangle square sorry you can find that at the nartech patreon talk to us talk to brett get some of our nice good good content see what we can do for you in the future um, yeah, come and get some of this good good yeah but i think that's us that's it for us at uh midweek matinee brett is gonna go ahead and read his patrons and we will see you next week our patrons good Chris. point i apologize our patrons, our patrons. okay a big shout out to all of you. We have some new ones this month. We have Kyle Graham, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Sanarud, Funk Turkey, Danny Villiobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popes, Kevin Bacon Bits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Steven Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Warpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Ham and Egger. Thank you all so much. That's a dangerous one. <laughs> that is a dangerous name. <laughs> now, whether or not that was on purpose or not, who knows? You sneaky, <laughs> sneaky man. He's trying to get you. He, you try to get me. But not today, okay? Thank you all so much. And remember, if you want to support the show with more than just your time, head over to patreon.com slash nartech. Thank you. Thank you. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters. Not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less... Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm. <laughs>